Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Les Kaiser, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. Welcome to the show, Gearheads. We're talking about the Formula One race where where Lewis Hamilton wins the race against Max Verstappen, who's in second and Botas in third. And, you know, we were talking during the break about how close these drivers, these cars are. They're just so evenly matched. And, you know, there's some great passing. And, Bob, you said in the pre-race show – uh, you mentioned about how wide this track is. And this has really set this up for some of these great passes that we saw both Hamilton and Verstappen do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's important to keep in mind when you know when designing, let's say, or visiting a track with a Formula One Grand Prix. Uh, you know, we all love Imola to death, but you cannot pass there. It's just too narrow. So you come to a place like Portimao in, in Portugal, and we saw guys diving for the inside, guys passing around the outside, which Lewis Hamilton did very nicely down in turn one. Um, yeah, it's you've got to give the guys room. You know, they, they can't – they're not magicians, but given the opportunity, as Ayrton Senna used to say, you know, if, you, if you're a racing driver and you see a gap, you go for it because if you don't, you're not a racing driver. And that's, you know, what drivers love, that kind of wheel-to-wheel competition. Yeah. Uh, well, make sure you stay tuned. Later in the show, we have some clips from Gunther Steiner, our exclusive interview we did with Gunther a little over a week ago, and some really interesting insights, as usual, from Mr. Steiner. But let's talk about these pit stops, guys, because there were there were so many that made uh, some serious implications in the race. And we had, Bob, what was that fastest one right at the end of the race by by Red Bull? It was like one point something, right? Well, it was 1.8 on the TV screen. I don't know what it'll be officially, but Red Bull's known to have the world's fastest pit stops. And that time where they took Sergio Perez and put him on the reds to go for fast lap was definitely under two seconds, which is always fun to watch. And I wrote down a 4.8 pit stop for Ricardo on lap 42. That is a miserable pit stop in Formula One these days. Yeah, especially on a track with a long pit lane like this one has. And only one opportunity to stop effectively. Two stops and you're going to lose so much track position that it won't work. Um, and we, we predicted that that was going to happen because of the long life of the tires and the lack of wear and the, and the long pit lane. And, and that's the way it transpired. But I have to say it made things a little less entertaining. You know, you like guys to have the opportunity to do the undercut by pitting behind the guy you're competing with or the overcut by pitting ahead of him to get those golden laps on fresh rubber. But you got to have a certain circumstance and and track dimensions and whatnot. It's a lot like passing. You got to have a track that's wide enough to be conducive to passing. You've also got to have a pit lane that's short enough that's conducive to making guys want to stop, get fresh tires and try tricky overtakes from the pit lane. Yeah. And good point. And and remember also, Interesting on the pit lane, Max Verstappen, when, did y'all see when he locked up? I mean, he coming into the pits, he was obviously way too fast. I mean, he slid across the timing mark with front tires locked. So that that's not the way to do it. But, hey, Les, I want to ask you something, speaking of the Red Bull team. Um, actually, you know what? Let me ask you this first. Toto Wolff, he came on the radio and was cheerleading with Valtteri Bottas. What did he say? You're the quickest car, you know? Go hunt him down. That's pretty unusual for Toto to jump on the roof on the yeah, radio. You know, I I don't know if we're seeing a change of Toto's personality, or if he is somewhat kind of playing to Valtteri a bit. Uh, to me, I mean, I I really do like Valtteri Botas in the paddock and and all this kind of thing. We talked about him in the pre-show that he's not the one to get out there and get attention. He just gets the job done a lot of times. Uh, what was he doing there? 
I think he was definitely turning him on and letting him know, yeah, you are the fastest car. You've had the fastest lap out here, and there's an opportunity to close on this. Unfortunately, it didn't go as as I had hoped, but uh, to see him up there battling, I loved him having the lead for as long as he did. But it was Boathouse's to lose, and he did. You look at some of the lines he was taking. He was not on the fastest Mm -hmm. line, and then he pretty much just put himself in a place too late when it got down to the braking portion that he could not defend the line that Lewis had owned and was coming up on him. It would constitute a second move, which would have made him give up his spot most likely had he tried to defend it that late on the track. So Bodos has yeah. a little bit to learn there, his bad line and the late, the uh, avoiding the late setup to protect. Yeah, well, you could read that that comment from Toto, that public comment, because yeah. they know the radio transmissions are going to be sent out there. It might have been a show of confidence in Botas. We know you can do this. It might have been a crack of the whip saying, all right, dude, you've got the car. No excuses. Get it done. Yeah. And as you point out, Les, you know, that's the difference between a good driver and a great driver is you get the opportunity, you maximize it, you exploit it, or you don't. You know, that's what I was going to ask you, Bob, is that, the crack of the whip is this, you know, are we, you know, as you said in the pre-show, he's got a one-year contract. I mean, I, I feel mm-hmm. like he's been a great second driver for Lewis, but how long are they going to keep him in that in that position? Well, as long as he's willing to accept it. That's the 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 tragedy of being Valtteri Bottas right now is you're in the best car on the planet, but you're matched up against the best driver on the planet right now. So you know, many, many years ago, I was in a press conference at the Nürburgring where Eddie Irvine was announced as Michael Schumacher's new teammate at Ferrari. And Irvine, who is a classic wise guy, uh, was asked about, you know, what you, you were the team leader at Jaguar. You were a team leader at Jordan. Now you're going to be a number two at Ferrari. And Eddie said, well, I don't look at it that way. If Michael Schumacher is the best driver in the world, then I must be the second best driver in the world. <laughs> And, oh, yeah, you know, they're going to be paying me 10 or $15 million a year, and I'm a Ferrari driver. So it all depends on your attitude. And Botas in the Netflix Drive to Survive series in interviews has made it clear, I'm not a number two. I don't want to be a number two. Quit telling me to support Lewis. That's not me. I'm a world champion. I can prove it if I get the chance. But, you know, it sometimes it just doesn't work that way. It it really is. It It's something else. I mean, to go in and play second fiddle and be told you're going to play second fiddle is one thing. And you think of that with very young drivers. You're expected. You're going to be learning. You're bringing some youthful excitement and things. But uh, Botas is a veteran. I, You know, to call him a second driver and in what we usually take as a second driver, I just, I just don't see it there. But, you know, one thing, Bob, you said. I hope someday somebody uses classic about describing me <laughs> instead of just wise guy. <laughs> hey, let me give out the phone number if in case anybody wants to call and join the show. 512-643-5483. 512-643-LIVE. And um also want to talk about, we, we touched on Mazpin earlier, but um he almost wiped out Sergio, the race leader at the time, Sergio oh. Perez. Right there when, you know, when we were looking how long Perez's tires were going to last. That was, you know, and he got a five-second penalty for it. You know, we saw the time get all the way up beyond 50 seconds, nearly 60 seconds. I think it was 58 point something seconds. Well, it was over that. It's over over a minute at at the final. Yeah, and it was just obscene. And then to have him practically take out Perez, uh, that would have been very easy. It was on Perez that saved that situation. Yeah, with a lockup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know, um, I know that Perez. I, I think the the penalty was actually avoiding blue flag or um, you know ignoring blue flags. So Perez probably said, "All right, is he going to do it? Is he not?" And gave him the very last second to to decide, and then ended up having to lock it up. But but uh, what do you think of Perez's race today, Mister Varsha? Well, you know, yeah, I might be inclined to to put it in there with the. Uh, with the Valtteri Botas um, profile that we just mentioned, you know, Perez is having these opportunities and hasn't been able to exploit them. He, um, he had a bad start today, wound up behind Carlos Sainz's Ferrari, um, lost some pace somewhere along the way. Well, he stayed out forever on his tires um, 
and then came in, got the great pit stop, off he went again. Uh, but, you know, he is, he is not the front runner that Max Verstappen is, which, you know, is not a harsh criticism. He's still learning the car. This is a racetrack that the drivers don't know well. So I, I have a lot of time for Sergio Perez. He's obviously very experienced. I think that experience will come to the fore as he comes to grips with a car that is built around Max Verstappen, just as it was built around Sebastian Vettel back in the day. Um, and I, I think we'll see some good performance. You know, I mentioned that that a lot of teams can come away with something positive. And I think Perez can feel positive about the day. Both McLarens in the top 10, both Ferraris in the top 10, and maybe most significant, both Alpines, the little French team that used to be Renault, well, big French team that used to be Renault, yeah. um, put both cars in the points today. Yeah. Ocon and Alonso. That is a great insight so right at how many teams could come away today, including the Haas F1 team, right? Say maybe yeah. the only team that can't come away is Williams saying they had a made some sort of progress today. But I want to go back to something you were talking about with uh, going back to Hamilton, because I, I remember when um, when Hamilton lost position. Um, oh, where's my where, I'm, I wrote this in my notes after passing. Wait a minute. I've got my notes completely out of whack because I said after pa- Hamilton, after passing Hamilton, he didn't pass himself. I don't know where I was going with that. I had it in my notes. <laughs> but, yeah, maybe so. But, uh, <laughs> but um, well, so Les, I mean, how would you, you know, you, we talked about, um, you know, the fact that these cars are so, the Red Bull cars and the Mercedes cars are just literally almost identical in speed now. I mean, how would you, what would you say if you're these two team managers right now? Because uh, if, if Christian says, look, we got to catch these guys, but the only way we're going to do it is this flawless strategy, flawless performance by the drivers. And do you have conversations, you know, with Perez? What do you do? Absolutely. I mean, you've got to, uh, to me, Perez is sharp. He's fantastic. I think you need to work on the mental game between Max and Perez. You got to get them to be more mentally stable to me in driving Max is flighty. You'll see him be on his game, hitting everything, hitting every apex on every inch of the track that he needs to be in. Perez consistently is good across a series of races. He is not delivering absolute home run performances every time he goes out. There's still some weak, there's still some wavering to what I see in Perez. And so stability consistency track to track got to figure out what Perez is not up to on these tracks when he's not all the way up there in front today was very good I'm happy with him today wish he was two spots further up but I'm happy with him Uh, I think there's a lot of psychology that needs to be discussed and managed in the Red Bull team because mechanically the cars are there but going back to what you were talking about earlier Bob about Perez and Red Bull car but we're we're so used to the second Red Bull driver being so far back. So Perez, in that respect, has made quite a bit of difference. Mm-hmm. And in fact, not only are we so used to it, this is what my notes were trying to come to. So was mm-hmm. Hamilton. Because you remember after Hamilton passed Sergio Perez, he lost track of where he was in the race. Yeah. He didn't even know. I don't know if he knew if he was leading. What did, Is that what your take was, Bob? What place am I in? Yeah. Yeah. And that was another good pass, too. Uh, to, to the point about managing drivers, too, and psychological games and the differences between two very distinct personalities, none more so than the two Mercedes drivers, um, <clears throat> a lot of people, notably L.M. Prost, used to talk about how Ron Dennis, when he ran the McLaren team, was so good at that. When you had Prost and Senna in the 1988 season winning 15 mm. of the 16 Grand Prix, incredible rivalry between the two teammates. Um, Prost said Ron Dennis was a genius at covering both of his guys. Once Prost qualified badly, I can't remember which race it was. So he, he got in his car before the start of the race and the team is working around, putting on wheels and tires and all that kind of stuff. And he looks to one side and there's his team principal, Ron Dennis, standing by his car toward the back of the grid. And Prost said that did a world of good for his his attitude going in. And Joe Ramirez, who was not only the one of the uh, the key 
team principals at McLaren, but before that, going all the way back to his days as a mechanic for Dan Gurney in the Formula One Eagles back in the 60s, uh, also wrote a terrific book about managing the personalities of McLaren and why it all worked so well. And, you know, we've seen time after time when it didn't work so well, sometimes with very tragic consequences, like the Ferrari battle between Gilles Villeneuve and, uh, and uh, uh, Didier um, Peroni. Didier, help me. <laughs> yeah. I can't help you. I'm not the historian you, that you are. <laughs> just senior moment just went right out of my head. Didier was well, his first name. Well, okay. So what about modern day? Like I was just asking, talking about Christian Horner, right? And we've seen how Red Bull has just chewed up these second drivers and spit them out. But also, did Christian Horner not really do a great job back when it was Vettel and, and Mark Webber? You know, that was an ugly and it didn't yeah. really get managed well. Maybe maybe Christian Horner's great at some things. Maybe this is a weakness of his. I don't know. But he didn't seem to do it that great. Well, you know, that's the team principles that you get to know up and down the pit line are there because they're good at this to a greater or lesser degree. It's it's one of the challenges. You know, everybody. Otmar Zafnauer has been through it when uh, uh, with what is now Aston Martin. Um, uh, Frederick Basseur at the... Uh, at Alfa Romeo, you know, up and down the line. Certainly, Gunther Steiner has uh, has dealt with it in his years running the uh, the Haas team. Yeah, it's a it's a real skill, no doubt. Didier Faze, is that right? No, Didier Faze. Peroni. Okay, it was Peroni. Okay. All right, well, hey, guys, we got to uh, get a quick break squeezed in here. And speaking of Gunther Steiner, we have some clips from our interview with Gunther that we did recently. So stay tuned for that. You're listening to Speed City Live from Austin, back after these messages. As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers, the best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. Ducati. You can take it for a test ride or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin. Online at DucatiAustin.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Motivation USA, catering to the sport bike enthusiasts looking for truly unique parts and accessories. Stand out from the crowd. Motivation is the exclusive North American distributor for SC Project MotoGP inspired exhausts and the largest Rizoma retailer in the United States. Get the best parts from around the world at the best prices with fast shipping and a knowledgeable staff ready to help. Shop online 24-7 at MotivationUSA.com. That's MotivationUSA.com. Talk 
Hi, this is Max Verstappen, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, welcome back to the show. We need to get the we need to get that other song, Max, 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 Max. Oh God, we're not ever going to play that again because it stuck in my head for a month. The one that was on YouTube. Yeah. Um, I want to start. I want to play a little bit of our interview with Gunther Steiner because we had a a good performance by Mick Schumacher. And we asked Gunther about the Schumacher factor uh, when we interviewed him a little over a week ago. And so let's hear from Mr. Gunther Steiner. Uh, there's anytime you have a second generation racer, uh, it can go either way with the relationships that are developed around that second generation driver. How are things going between the Ferrari uh, legacy folks and Mick himself? I, I, I mean, I, I never worked with, with, with Michael, so I, I, I don't know if I said hello to him, but I never had a, 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 a relationship with him, so I don't know how Michael was really, but uh, I just know for the, the, we have got some of the, uh, there are still uh, some Ferrari guys which worked with Michael uh, uh, at the time, and when it was announced, they got really emotional about it. Uh, you know, they really loved it because uh, uh, I think Michael brought to Ferrari the, uh, the, the winning spirit back and they all missed that a little bit, you know, so they, they were so happy. They got very emotional about it and, and, and they love it. I mean, it's like, but, but I think in general, uh, uh, the F1 fan loves to have a Schumacher back, you know, to have Mick back, you know, uh, because Michael, did, uh, his father did so much for the sport, you know, so uh, uh, it's like, and what we try to do is to, is, is to give Michael uh, or Mick a career like Michael had, you know, uh, that is uh, that is our aim, to bring him up to that level. And I mean, now dreaming, hopefully he can be world champion with us. And if he's not world champion with us, with another team, and it could be the red team because he's still contracted to Ferrari as well, Mick, you know, so uh, that is what we are trying to do. But the emotions are high with the, with the, with the uh, Ferrari guys, which worked with, with his father. Yeah, I, I like, uh, I just like Gunther Steiner, I think, it's the, me, and, me and the rest of the world on, uh, on Netflix. But um, well, what do you think about that topic, Bob? I mean, with your historical perspective. What do you think about that? About second generation drivers? Yeah. And just how, well, and I thought, I call it the whole Schumacher factor. You know, I, I thought about the, um, the, the fact that, okay, so Haas brought in Mazepin, obviously with the nice sponsor money, but you kind of got, you, you, that's a negative, right? Some people look at that as a negative, but we also have the opposite here with bringing in Schumacher with his, you know, with his family name and history. Yeah, well, you know, in Mick's case, he does have credentials. You know, he won the Formula 2 championship. He's obviously a good driver. Uh, Mazepin, the jury is still out on, but it's still early in his career. Um, you know, that whole topic of being, you know, the next Frank Sinatra or the next Paul McCartney, you know, it's, it's really tough. Just ask Michael Andretti or Damon Hill. You know, it's, it's very, very tough to live up to the image of a, of a really successful parent, particularly in a, in a blood sport like motor racing. So I can see why, you know, having a Schumacher, whether it's Mick or somebody else in the team is good. I know Ron Dennis at McLaren, when they brought Michael Andretti in to be Ayrton Senna's partner in 1993, I think Ron genuinely thought it was gonna be a windfall of American support because, you know, we had Michael who had a, a glittering resume of his own um, and it didn't turn out that way. And, uh, and Michael really suffered through a season. I have a lot of time for Michael. You know, he, he thought he was going to get a McLaren Honda. He got a McLaren Ford. He uh, thought he was going to get a lot of testing and that's when they eliminated a lot of preseason testing. He was really back against the wall in a lot of ways. He didn't help his case necessarily because he spent a lot of time going back and forth to the United States instead of staying right there at the factory, working with everybody, getting to know them, developing a rapport and a chemistry. So, you know, plenty of blame to go around. And of course it all ended uh, with less than a full season of competition. But, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of pressure there. Yeah. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yep. Just like any other sport like you said so all right well we have a couple of callers on the line by the way if you want to call and join 512-643-5483 uh let's start with george george welcome to speed city what'd you think of the race 
Um, John, I thought it was um, exciting for what it's worth, but um, I'm starting to lump Portugal with Hungary in my I catch I catch the highlights, but this one was sort of <laughs> exciting. Um, first, I want to um, say hello to Mr. Varsha. I hope all is well. Um, Thank like you. many who've called in, spent a many a Sunday morning with you. Um, marriage suffered a bit for it, but you know I reconciled. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I get a lot. I want to touch on a couple of things. Um, first, is Botas the 2020 version of Rubens Barrichello? Hmm. And if so, I think what we're missing here in the age of Hamilton, I'm going to use a probably very bad analogy, but I'm going to use it anyway, is when you had the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan making their run, there were a lot of good teams, but they never became great teams. And, you know, I think several drivers' careers are going to end. They're going to be like Utah Jazz mm. and the Seattle Supersonics. Mm-hmm. And, and then once that era is over, your era is over. Botox is a great driver. Verstappen is a great driver. But they're all going to be in the shadow of, of Hamilton and Hamilton's records. And I think with Botox, I think at the end of the day, let's be honest, gentlemen, Botox is in it for the money. Because if you go to another, if you go to another team, you make it paid. as as Vettel. I mean, Vettel's literally shrinking to the back of the grid, but he's getting mm-hmm. X amount of dollars. But and then my second thing is Haas. I mean, it's getting to the point where um, I hate to say this, the, the latest driver who's not named Schumacher. I mean, this is this is. <laughs> bordering on danger territory. Literally, I mean, Petrov, I can name some others from the minority days. Um, Alex Yoon kind of springs to mind, but Mr. Bosch would probably correct me on that, is Haas got to make a change. And I don't know if it's just a, it's a leadership thing, a, a talent thing, or the the, the equipment is just not there. But who, who do you the, want, George? Uh, Colton Herta? Yes, sir. <laughs> I will, yes, sir. <laughs> I would t- look, look. I, I'm 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 looking on LinkedIn to see if I could, you know, I can get a job there. It's that bad. I mean, I want to support. I am a supporter. I want to support. I want to see a strong F1 team. I know there is a learning curve. All of that. Gene Haas is not dumb to get, you know, to get what he's done in the sport. I wish there was another driver who's had teams in IndyCar and other places who had one problem with Montoya driving for him would be an F1, but that's another story. But eventually, Haas will have to make a business decision. Mm. That's all well, I have to say, gentlemen. I, I'll well, I, I think they have made the business decision, and <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. It was but, the dollar figure. But but I, I see your point, because if he is becomes dangerous, I mean, today, yeah, that was a mistake. But, I mean, he, he didn't come in here with no credentials, right, Mazepin? He came in, he had some success. So... Um, but so you know, I, I think we got to give it a little bit of time and take the the tens of millions of dollars to keep. Because let's face it, in fact, we've got another clip that we're going to play. But but uh, Gunther said it essentially: there wouldn't be an American Formula One team without Mazepin and the money that he came with. We would not. They would have left. They would have left. They said we've done our first five year contract that we committed to, and we're going to leave. But we've got somebody that's going to keep us in the sport, and that's that's the thing that is kind of hard for. Uh, casual American sports fans, because we're not used to that in NFL and NBA and in MLB. We're just not used to that being the case where you just have to have that sponsor money to keep a team going like that. We're just not used to that. And I think that, that that's probably what happened. But hey, I, I do like your analogy about the NBA because I loved watching Michael Jordan at that time. And there was a bunch of great teams that that would have been, I mean, Carl Malone, I mean, he kind of lives in that shadow. He's a, he's a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest ever. But and he played at the same era as Michael Jordan and caught Scottie Pippen and, and gang. And so, uh, it, you know, he's he's going to never really have lived up to it. I I disagree with you about Botas. I don't think Botas is quite that good. Max Verstappen, I absolutely agree with you. But uh, I got to go back to you, Bob, because you know he was George was really addressing your question. What do you think about his comments? Well. As far as number two drivers, I mean, we all have to understand that Formula One is an enormously expensive enterprise, and it and it's an enterprise. There's no 
prize money for the World Drivers Champion. All the money goes to the constructors. So with that in mind, if you're going to be a successful team and a responsible team principal, you've got to build an organization with a certain set of priorities and rules to maximize the number of championship points you're going to collect every year for the all-important prize money. Um, you know, we all hate the idea of, of Barrichello giving way to Alonso at Ferrari, or uh, in fact, I think Carlos Sainz gave way to uh, Charles Leclerc today. And people rant and rave about team orders. But the fact is, you've got to have them if you're going to score maximum points. And Christian Horner has talked about this a number of times. You know, it's, it's not a straight up fight. It's a strategic as well as a competitive exercise to get maximum points out of both cars. And at certain times, you know, you've got to make those decisions to, uh, to get one of your drivers to the very top of the podium and the other one to, to uh, you know, pick up as many points as he can. And I don't think there's any dishonor in that. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, with regard to Eddie Irvine at Ferrari, he was a very good number two. Barrichello yeah. was a very good number two. And, it, you know, it does them no dishonor to say you were a number two. They both won races, didn't win a world championship, but, you know, Sir Sterling Moss didn't either. And he's regarded in the top three or four sure. all time. So, you know, it's a, it, the commercial reality is it's a two-car team sport and you need maximum points from both cars. So, you know, uh, yeah, it, it's not about coming with money. I mean, every Formula One driver going back as far as you like came with money. I was reading Nicky Lauda's life story the other day, and he, you know, he had to he had to basically commit bank fraud to get a loan <laughs> of about one hundred fifty thousand British pounds to get a drive uh, because his family, who were wealthy, would not support him. Uh, Peter Salbert paid Michael Schumacher's way into the uh, into the Jordan team. Uh, back when Michael started his career, you know, it's it's just the way it works. And yes, Mazepin's at Haas because of money. Yes, Latifi is where he is because of money. And, and yes, Lance Stroll to a certain extent is there because of money. But everybody is there because of money to some greater or lesser extent. You know, those the, the, the times yeah. when someone could be taken under a team's wing like Lewis Hamilton was by McLaren are very, very rare. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's a good point to break. George, thank you for calling, buddy. We really appreciate it. If you're holding on the line, hang on with us, and we'll be back here in just a minute after a quick break. Listen to Speed City live from Austin. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. 
Winding Road Racing is your first and best choice for all the essentials for a great weekend at the track. We're racers, and we love helping racers. With a full selection of racing gear in stock, get geared up with all the safety equipment needed to meet all the latest Snell FIA and SFI regulations. Outfit your car with a comprehensive lineup of racing necessities, and when you need to find a few more tents, turn to data acquisition systems from AIM Sports, V-Box, and others. Austin-based with shops in California, Georgia, and Kentucky, the source for all your racing needs. Winding Road Racing, windingroadracing.com. As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers. The best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. Ducati. Even take it for a test ride. Or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin. Online at DucatiAustin.com. Talk 13.7, the right choice. Hi, this is Gene Austin, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, well, let's uh, let's go to our next caller. We have somebody holding. We have, um, we have Mike from Kansas City. Mike, welcome to Speed City. What did you think of the race today? I found it somewhat entertaining at sections. I really enjoyed uh, the few battles that were up front. And uh, I really, out of respect, want to say I apologize for the last time we spoke. I did not know that Mr. Varsha was on. And I want to tell him that he took me from my Formula One infancy all the way through. I'd have to buy new cable channels every year. They kept jumping around. <laughs> but but he's, he, his voice introduced me to F1. Well, you're in a long list of people. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and I think that uh, not really talking about the race a whole lot. I, I get bored with the Schumacher and the Hamilton style of dominance. I always like to see other things happen. That's why, you know, the up-and-comings are always in my side. But uh, on that note, the uh, race itself I thought was pretty good. Uh, uh, Max, you know, he's going after him. I like what, what Perez is doing still. And uh, just out of all of it, I still think that Mr. Varsha really put down a good explanation if the American side of uh, racing interest would listen to what he says about the structure of Formula One and how it really works, as in most racing. You know, you got to have money to start with, but, but Formula One is the premier sport. It does the technology, the innovation. The, 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 they've just it, There it is. Yeah, Bob, go ahead. Well, I, first of all, I appreciate your kind words about about me hanging around Formula One as long as I have. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, Formula One is distinctive that way. Uh, both cars are identical. They have identical sponsors. It is definitely a team sport, which has certain implications. I mean, you can point to NASCAR, IndyCar, whatever it is. That's it's The driver's checks may be signed by the same individual, but they're not teammates in the larger sense because if I'm driving with my group of sponsors and my livery on the car, I don't want my teammate taking his sponsors and his livery to victory lane. So I'm not going to get out of his way. Yeah. I might make it easier on him than I would on somebody from another team, but mm. you know, it's not anywhere near the same in terms of the, the team dynamic and this, uh, you know, this, this whole that has to operate together so that everybody in the team benefits. Yeah. Well, Mike, thanks a lot. We appreciate you calling in from Kansas city and we'll talk to you soon. Uh, we have another caller on the line, but this is a, not just a caller. This is a guest. And Mr. Kaiser, I would like you to introduce, because this is a gentleman that you know. Absolutely. You know, John, I I don't know that you know how big of a uh, organization I manage here. <laughs> uh, that, uh, you know, the artificial intelligence people, you know, it, it's just vast. And, uh, you know, I spoke to two the of staff them staff here at yeah, Speed City? Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So that last... describes artificial intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So last night I spoke to two of the staff. One, uh, Tom Watson, thank you for your assistance, but uh, got into a long, involved discussion with Doug Saylor. Why do we care about Doug and what he does? Well, I got into calculations that were bigger than I could do on my toes and fingers. <laughs> so I reached out to Doug, who is a principal scientist for machine learning and 
Applied Artificial Intelligence. I could barely make it through that sentence, <laughs> but uh, his knowledge far extends mine. So uh, Doug and I were talking about this sprint racing, and I was like, there's got to be a better way for qualifying. And I said, I, I want something scientific. I want something meaty. I want something mathematical. Data, data mathematical. Doug is a guy because he's also a phenomenal Formula One fan. So, uh, Doug, welcome to Speed City. Hi, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. We're, we're letting him out of the office today. But uh, <laughs> yeah. anyway, so what Doug and I spoke about said, what is, what is needed to improve qualifying? For one, one of the things that is a irritant for me is when we have somebody make what I call a cameo appearance to come out and run two fast laps and they wind up on pole. That's not fun for the fans in, in TV or in, in the audience. And so I want to reward them for being out through the entire qualifying. Of course, we've got to consider the lap times and things. And so Doug agreed, yes. Well, you know, in fact, those smaller teams are putting so much time on the track. They're spending money to be on the track. That's hurting them. And the bigger teams don't have to spend it on track. They may have spent it somewhere else. But again, that's back to fan entertainment. Doug, I know you uh, stayed up quite a bit working on this. Uh, I want to give him a highlight, but also want to put a teaser out that we're going to have Doug on next week to really get into the details of this because it's best sorted by some visuals, and he's going to use some historical data and show how things could be different. Doug, thanks a lot for joining yeah. us. Tell us a little bit about this. Okay. Um, well, thanks again for having me. And I'd just like to point out, you know, like, like all last minute homework, this may have a few rough edges, but um, I pitched it to a few people and colleagues and it seems solid. So I think, uh, I think we can, we can build on it. Um, so the easiest way to think about this is actually, or visualize it is actually a pie chart. And everyone sort of knows uh, what a pie chart is. And it boils down to how well you do your the best time or the better time you get, the more pie you have, the bigger your slice of the pie. And that slice of the pie is your position on the grid. So you want a bigger slice of pie. Um, so you with me so far? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's work through a simple example and explain why this has a unique property that really helps us out um, with the, uh, sort of engaging everyone and, and the teams. So let's say, uh, so you, you're first qualifying. You do your hot lap, you have a time. The better your time, the larger the slice of the pie. Seems pretty obvious. I mean, it's pretty simple so far, sure. right? Now, um, this has an interesting property. You are not being judged on an absolute time. Your absolute time defines your slice of the pie, but what you're really being judged at because it's all relative is how well everyone did as a whole. That's how a pie chart works. Your slice of the pie compared to everyone else. With me so far? Yeah. Okay. So that's what we do. And now we have the next qualifying and you do your hot lap and you get another score. You do the same thing. You make your pie chart, you get a new slice. If that slice of the pie, that is your relative performance to everyone else, is larger than your previous one, you add that difference, that little sliver that you improved back to the original, and that becomes a cumulative score. Now, what this does is it rewards you for constantly improving. It rewards you for being there. And you can do this for as many qualifying laps as you have. And this has an interesting property to, to, um, to thwart, I guess, what you were describing. Let, let's, say, um, let's say Hamilton goes out and does a fantastic lap. No, shouldn't tax your imagination too hard. And, <laughs> True. <laughs> and, and he's done. He's like, I, no one's going to get, I know this is the best thing ever. And now let's say uh, um, anyone else, uh, stop and notice, somebody else is close, but they're not quite there. In the next qualifying lap, so what we have here going into the next qualifying lap is Hamilton has a, the biggest slice of pie, and Bottas has the second biggest slice. And they're close, but Hamilton's winning. Now, Hamilton doesn't go out again because he's, he's in first. Bottas improves just by a little sliver. 
that little sliver gets added back to his original slice of the pie. And that could push him to switch positions with Hamilton. So this is a this is an incentive to keep improving. Um, and keep improving, so and it and it keeps uh, it keeps Hamilton back on track because he's going to come back out and try to do the same thing. Exactly, exactly. And um, so we worked through a bunch of well, you know, <laughs> over the night worked through a bunch of scenarios, and it also has a really, 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 I think, interesting property. Um, and I don't know how much less I don't know how much you want to talk about, but I was going to talk about the rain, the rain lap. Oh yeah, what do you think? Give a teaser on that. You know, Go yeah, for we it. got a couple oh. more minutes. Yeah, let's do the rain lap. Okay, okay, okay. Let's say you know. So we do our first qualifying. You got your slice of the pie. Second qualifying, it's raining. Normally, this is a throwaway. No one is going to do as well in the wet as they did in the dry, right? I mean, it's sure. just not useful. Except in this scenario, it is. It's valuable. Because you're being assessed by how well you did relative to everyone else. So that means everyone got slower. Everyone got taxed by the rain. But you still go back out. And relative to everyone else, you do better. You still improve. That little slice gets added back to your cumulative score. It mm. makes the rain lapse valuable. It makes it so that you still need to try to improve. And more importantly, it encompasses a dynamic event, the rain. The teams that judge the right thing to do, pick the right tires, pick the right setup, relative to all the others, will do better. Their reward will be better, and they will be they will move ahead. And this could jostle the positions a little bit. So it makes every qualifying important, no matter if it rained or not, because it's not an absolute score. Well, it is a very interesting uh, take on this, and you're right. It could you, you got to add some visuals to this to make it uh, to make it really stick and make it you know where people can quickly consume it and understand it. But but it is interesting. Well, next week, thank you. Doug has done some amazing work, and we've talked about it. And it's just been fantastic. So, Doug and our uh, Doug's going to put together some visuals. And we're going to have him back next week, and and we're going to dig into this whether we make it a podcast and include some of it on the show things like that but uh i'm really excited because doug brought in aspects that i had not yet considered and that's why he's smarter than me <laughs> well doug th <laughs> thanks a lot we really appreciate your insight and uh we'll look forward to the uh, to the update great thank you very much thanks a lot doug all right guys well we need to go ahead and take a break and when we come back we'll touch on the sprint race again we talked a little bit about it in the pre-show we'll touch on that a little bit more and uh Continue our Formula One discussion. Listen to Speed City Live from Austin back after these messages. swing nba playoffs are heating up and your nfl team is gearing up for training camp listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the odyssey app the biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app When you're looking for traditional Tex-Mex, look no further than an Austin favorite, one in a million. Serving original family recipes since 1980 and located just minutes from downtown at 2300 East Cesar Chavez, one in a million has your Tex-Mex fix every day of the week from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Breakfast is served all day. Homemade migas, enchiladas, and menudo. And try the Don Juan taco. Some say it's big enough to feed a family of four. One in a million. Online at oneinamillion.com. As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers. The best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. Ducati. You can take it for a test ride or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin. 
online at bucattiaustin.com. Austin's Talk, 1370. Hi, this is Jay Leno from com, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Got a little Billy Joel playing there. If you haven't got your tickets to the United States Grand Prix, you can do that now because Billy Joel is the concert. I'm assuming it's going to be the standard Saturday night thing that they've been doing the last few years. Oh, yeah. So, yep. yeah, yeah, I got That'll a confirmation. So we'll have Billy Joel for uh, for the United States Grand Prix. That'll be good. But, Bob, during the break, you, you mentioned that Doug's theory of qualifying actually harkens back a little bit to history, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely it does. Uh, as he talked, it resonated with me because I remember the the – when I got into Formula One in the late 80s and up through the mid-90s, qualifying was done in one-hour sessions, as many laps as you like, on Friday and, and an hour session Saturday. It's, uh, mainly because I was in the field. And it was so quick, and you know, the unchallenged master of qualifying, that he would go out, put up a time, go back to the garage, stay in the car, watch the clock, see if anybody was going to threaten his time, and then... Even if they didn't, he would go back out and try to better himself right to the end of qualifying because you figured Senna was going to go out and do something really special. And more often than not, he did. And I think that's what Doug's idea takes us back to is that right down to the last second, there can be changes and improvements. And I think. Yeah, we're kind of losing Bob on the Zoom. Um, But but yeah, I mean, it's anything to. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about what's happening with the sprint races right now is the fact that we are trying something. Mm -hmm. All these conversations need to be at least considered. And we touched on this in depth in the pre-show, but I I definitely want to talk about the sprint races now in case you missed the pre-show. But I mean, what Formula One is going to do, they're going to try and experiment in three races uh, at three races this season, starting at Silverstone, where they're going to have a sprint race on Saturday instead of having qualifying on Saturday but they're going to still have the traditional qualifying as we know it on Friday. So instead of the second practice on Friday, we're going to have qualifying on Friday, which is apparently going to be a little later in the day, trying to make it a little easier to watch for some people. But so they'll have the regular qualifying on Friday. And then that, that grid sets the, uh, that the results from that set the grid for the qualifying. I mean, for the sprint race on Saturday, which then those results set the grid for the regular race on Sunday and there's been lots of people going up and back and forth about this, but mostly negative. But I am just excited that they're going to try it, right? What's the worst case thing that they do? They try it and we don't like it and we decide that we don't want to do it. Right. Well, they're not just throwing it out uh, on the first time. This is not the first time sprint races have been used to uh, set up a grid. Specifically, they have already been working in the esports environment and they've tested this and they've made adjustments to it. And so what you're seeing rolled out as sprint is not like an overnight success or whatever. This has actually already been played with in the esports, and they are bringing that uh, in as far as it's been refined at this point onto the uh, onto the front stage, basically. That's a good point that they're using it. They're experimenting with in the esports world, and you know I'm sure they they had some success with it, and they said, okay, we've tried it here. Let's try it in the real world. And I think what they're saying, one of the big keys here in the press release, they said, is they're not really trying to fix things. Like even today, it wasn't the best race we've had all season, but it wasn't a horrible race to watch. There's plenty of excitement back and forth, you know, during the race. But what they're trying to do is maybe add a different element of entertainment here. And, you know, you maybe some people that came in off Netflix, for example, they don't really want to sit down and watch a full 90 minutes, two hours of racing and they can consume a, a race on Saturday and, and really enjoy it because these things are going to be, what, 20 laps, maybe 30 minutes. And, you know, you can at least say, well, I got to see that and I enjoyed my Formula One. And maybe you've even got plans because, you know, we know how consuming content is these days. I think that may be the biggest driver is that there's so much competition for content. I mean, you, imagine... You know, there's how many zillions of hours on YouTube and some of it's getting pretty good now. And there's how many different networks, and how many different sports and OTT networks. And, you know, every single motorsport now has its own TT with, you know, hours and hours of content. 
So, you know, why not try to keep a slice of that content pie with these sprint races? So um, there's there's lots more to it, and we keep all of our shows up on a podcast. So if you missed the pre-race, go back and look to that. Come back next week. We'll have Doug. Yeah, yeah, we'll have Doug to talk more about that. But um, also want to touch some something we touched on in the pre-race is that is uh, we've been here in Austin. We talk about the USGP. Ticket sales are through the roof. And I don't know if that's post-pandemic what's going on. We didn't have the race last year or maybe Billy Joel's helping. But but the uh, I know for a fact that we heard it from Bobby Epstein out at Dakota yesterday. We heard it from a ticket broker company here in Austin. They talk about how uh, the ticket sales are are through the roof. And so that's exciting to hear in a, after a year of not having uh, Formula One. But but we just got a couple minutes. Bob, I want to ask you and see if your your connection is back, but uh, I want to ask you about Mario Andretti's comments about having Colton Herta. You know, after Colton Herta won the IndyCar race last weekend, Mario came out and immediately it was like, I really want to see this young guy get a shot at Formula One. And, you know, it's a very small window and it comes very early in a driver's career. Uh, I saw Colton Herta driving a, a, you know, a racing school car when he was about 13 years old. And I know he is very well advised by his dad, Brian, who was a terrific driver in his own right. And I think Colton would be a terrific candidate for Formula One if he's willing to make that that huge jump, not only in terms of the competition, but culturally as well. You got to go over there. You got to live there. You know, that's got to be uh, your daily life. Um, but if he's willing, um, I think, as Mario pointed out, uh, teams would be crazy not to take a look at him. And uh, Mario, to his credit, has always pushed Americans uh, when it comes to careers in Grand Prix racing. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a, a wonderful idea. And before I forget, you mentioned the ticket sales for Austin are booming. Let's hope it's a surge of popularity for Formula One because I understand you can already buy your merchandise for the for the Grand Prix at Miami coming <laughs> up next year. So jump on that as well. That's awesome. With <laughs> a, yeah, without a doubt. And by the way, we do have the uh, Miami Gardens mayor in the queue for interviews, so we'll get some first-handed info. Yeah, information. I, I want to find out what, yeah, what the, you know, the, the, how the community got behind this thing after, after a year of not being behind it and having to, you know, move the venue and all that stuff. So that'll be good. I'm, I'm interested to see I think the, that cash register kind of set it off. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It was a bit of that. And I think somebody rotated off of the city council and that helped. Uh, yeah, know, I did. I'll, I'll say this. I think one of the articles I saw said that there was going to be a definite effort to engage the community and especially small businesses in the area to be part of it and be included. Yep. Slice of the pie, as Doug mentioned. Well, all of that would pale in comparison, whatever, you know, you can get Billy Joel, you can get additional races, but if you could get an American like Colton Herta in a Formula One seat, you know, I, I think that would just be the, the final thing that could really push it over. I know this is being, Bob's probably kind of, the thinking is that I've heard this before, but if we really, we you know we we've never had a permanent home like we have here at Coda. So we, and we have now ten years of track record showing that we can put two hundred fifty thousand people in the stands. We've got uh, the American owned entity that is you know now Liberty Media owning it, owning the sport. We've got efforts like Netflix and efforts like the all the social media, the OTT network that F, Formula One does, F1 TV. Infants, uh, investment into Williams. Yeah, we and, you know, you've got all these different Americans involved in the sport, you know, from McLaren and, and Doralton Capital buying Williams F1. I mean, I, I think if you did add a, a driver on top of that, I think we would finally crack something and, and maybe not mainstream. I'm not saying we're going to compete with NFL and Major League Baseball and NBA every Sunday, but um, or NASCAR for that matter, because NASCAR still has big numbers. But I think it could be the the one that finally does it. Well, guys, we are out of time. I want to thank everybody for uh, calling in today. Thanks everybody for tuning in, whether you tuned in on the radio or tuned in on our social media. And don't forget, we'll be back next week with the Formula One race. And of course, we have our regular motorsports show every Sunday night on the radio in Austin. Go to our website, SpeedCityBroadcast.com, to check out how to find that. And we will talk to you next Sunday. Ciao, y'all. Hola, Barcelona.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.